0: Welcome back to another episode of the Duncan with Dom podcast. Micah, we're finally back. I feel like it's been too long. And with this NBA season, it's been a blast so far heading into the new year. It's good to have you back on.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here as always. We can talk a lot of NBA. Certainly you and I can do so for hours, if not days. And we finally have found a time when both of our schedules match. And we can go ahead and talk about what we got right and what we got wrong from the first 40 to 50 percent of the NBA season.
0: Yeah, that's basically the premise for today's episode because we, we, we've had like a month and a half long hiatus here since we've honestly been able to truly deep dive into the NBA. So I say before we get into our segment of kind of what we got right and what we got wrong and kind of go back and forth on looking at these different teams, what stood out for you so far this NBA season kind of heading into January?
1: Heading into January, first off, I want to give a shout out to the Brooklyn Nets. I felt that their season was dead about three to four weeks into the season. However, they, since then, have turned their season around. They fired Steve Nash. They hired interim head coach Jacques Vaughn, who they later named as the full time head coach. And since then, they are currently the hottest team in the NBA. They are now the number two team in the Eastern Conference, standing was wise. And they once again are playing defense, which I guess I must have said once again about a sentence ago, but that was actually inaccurate. For the first time since their current roster has been constructed, they are now playing defense, which as we know throughout the history of the NBA, you're going to have to be in the top half of the league or so in order to actually compete on that end. And offensively, they are starting to use Yuta Watanabe as the best corner three-point shooter in the league. Nicholas Claxton is finally playing like a starting center in the NBA. He's actually making free throws, as crazy as that sounds. And I guess from the rest of the roster standpoint, Durant and Irving are doing their thing. And Durant, by the way, is sneakily making his own MVP case because he is putting up the greatest mid-range shooting season the league has ever seen.
0: If I had to give one take, because your Brooklyn take is pretty good as to what I... I think generally, you know what's shocking to me is that so far heading into December, I actually think the standings have normalized that other than the Warriors and even then Golden State's now back to 500 without Curry. I think because I have a pod coming out like in a week and a half where we're going to kind of re-tier the contenders with a different guest. Everything though kind of is actually shaping how like... I thought by the end of the season it would be. Like in the Eastern Conference, there's a clear top four or five teams, then it kind of tapers off. In the Western Conference, it's still open, but there's a clear top five or six with only one or two teams really. Like you're really looking at only Golden State and Minnesota as kind of below. What we thought they would originally be, but for the most part, I think we actually we don't have this situation where it's like, oh, the Knicks won are on a forty five win pace when we never thought they would win more than thirty, like in twenty twenty one, or like even Miami. Like there, there's so many teams where I think we actually have a sense of what they are, and I think I don't know how that'll affect the trade deadline in the upcoming months, but I do think teams actually know what their situation is moving forward, and we really, at least when I've done this pod the past two years, that really has not been the case. of it, It's been a lot more. I don't know, the sample size is a little bit smaller. You still didn't really – couldn't figure teams out. I think we know what teams are this season.
1: There's a little bit more of that this season. I think that in the Western Conference, you are getting pretty much the same thing that you've gotten what it felt like in the mid-2000s where everything was jumbled. And more often than not, you have either the Lakers or the Spurs near the top. But everything else besides that just kind of falls into place with – suns and the mavericks and this year you have the clippers who seem to start having their stars play basketball which is going to be the number one thing for them moving forward denver is starting to have their stars play basketball they just finished up a back-to-back in sacramento playing back-to-back nights against the light the beam team which of course is sacramento kings and They are now starting to play holistic basketball, something that we really didn't see for much of the first part of the season. They were a tremendous offense, but an abhorrently bad defense. And over the last month or so, they're actually starting to play like a top 15 defense in the NBA. Something that I have spoken about at length on other shows is if they're going to actually be a team that we have to take seriously as a championship contender not just necessarily a team that could be one of the final four they're not going to be able to last against a lot of these teams if they're not at least taking away the first option offensively because a lot of times that first option is going to be try and find different ways to exploit Nikola Jokic in any kind of a high pick and roll scenario or if you wanted to run at him with any kind of a side split action, it's essentially going to be ways to find ways to make him work on the defensive end, which he is now doing, but he's doing much better. And some of the guys that the Denver Nuggets that have brought in this season in order to help compensate for some of those weaknesses, they are starting to play to the level of their abilities. A la Kentavious Caldwell Pope, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, by the way, this season, I don't know if he's going to make the all-star team, but he has not missed a shot this season.
0: <laughs> or 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 missed a chance to throw down some of the best posters, probably this season of his career and probably ever
1: <laughs> that well, greatest poster this season without a doubt, and here's the thing if I were to like rank the top in game dunks that I've ever seen first off, Vince Carter in the Olympics would probably have to be number one, but I don't know, Zion Williamson at the buzzer beater, I guess, against the Suns. It wasn't even even a buzzer beater, but just the thunderous, like, I don't care. This is a rivalry now. You play us. We do this to you, dunk. Of course, it was the 360, between the legs, tomahawk. That's the kind of dunk that you never, ever see in a game, and you rarely even see in a dunk contest. So we have been spoiled with those kinds of things, and – the Pelicans and Nuggets currently rank as the number 1 and 2 teams in the Western Conference tied at 22 and 12. So
0: we we can now get into the standings. Cause I think something that we we I've always wanted to do especially because now we've got like what like a almost 40 game sample size here as we approach the halfway mark is Take stock of kind of the, the preseason expectations, what our individual thoughts were, and see. I, I honestly think not to be too not humble here. I actually think a majority of them, I think we actually got right, but there's definitely some outliers here. And I'll start off with one that I just got wrong because I think I underrated your team, and that's the Utah Jazz. To be fair, they've cooled off at 19-18 and 18 and 9th in the Western Conference, but if you had asked at the beginning of the year... Would Utah at one point for basically over a month be a top two or three team in the Western Conference? I would have said absolutely not. I think I don't know what your take is on Utah. I think part of me is that I, I underrated just having a lot of really good players, even if they're not superstars, helps a lot. Especially because they got so much back from the Rudy Gobert trade. But what is your, what is your take on Utah? Because that was one of my few whiffs this season where I just was completely wrong on them.
1: So three things you have to remember about Utah. First off, the season, they have a Rockets home environment. Regardless of how bad the team is, they are still going to be playing at elevation, which is a massive home court advantage. They also have fans that are just going to show up and show up in numbers because, uh, I guess, the LDS... Church. They just have a ton of people who show up and are very rowdy. And the, the other thing you have to worry about with this team is, or I guess not worry about, but remember about them. For all of the different personalities that they have, there is no ego on this team. They play within the system that Will Hardy has instituted, which is a lot more complex than just the spread, five out, high motion pick and roll offense that they had with Mitchell and Gobert, which Made sense if you actually have players of that caliber, but now they actually have to share the wealth more, and Lowry Markkinen is likely going to be a first-time All-Star, even if Utah was not hosting All-Star Weekend like it is this season.
0: I think what I got wrong was that Lowry Markkinen really has taken the leap this year, and I think it's interesting because people are calling him Dirk Light, and I won't get there yet because Dirk—I mean— Maybe you can. He didn't
1: make seven threes last night.
0: Yeah, the thing is that he plays exactly like him where he's got kind of like the three-level scoring where he's an outside shooter. And he's so big to Utah's system too, but the other thing is that he's been much better as a passer. I think that's been an underrated part where because he's been – because what happened is that he played in Chicago and then in, in Cleveland where he was basically acting as a three when he was more of a four stretch five. And I think that, that identity shift has really helped him a lot.
1: Oh, definitely. The other thing that I think you can't remember or can't forget about him was this past offseason. He played in FIBA for the Finnish national team, and he essentially played the same role for them as he is now for the Jazz, where he is the focal point of the offense, the true number one. And look, he's not one of the top 15 to 20 players in the NBA, and nobody expects him to be. However, he is one of those guys that essentially gives the team hope that, look, if you have a guy like him that you can also pair with a lead guard at some point during the next few years of the Jazz rebuild. This is going to be a team that can actually, essentially, skip out on the entire lottery part of things while having a million draft picks and still never really falling below the purgatory threshold in the NBA. I'll
0: let you go now. We're, we're going to start with the, the things we got wrong first because I always, I always love. So we always love starting off with the negative. So why don't you go first? What did you go wrong this season? <laughs>
1: So, one of the things that I got wrong this season, I will say, like, there really has not been a whole lot. One of the things that I will say I got wrong, though, for sure, would be the Washington Wizards. I thought that the Wizards were firmly going to be in the upper echelon of the play-in teams, maybe even squeak into the playoffs in the 1-8, through meaning that they will have advanced past the play-in. That... Looked like it was going to be the case for much of the first month or two of the season when Chris Stops looked like he had actually found a new home and he was barreling towards maybe even making an all-star team himself. That ship has sailed since then, and they have fallen completely off on the defensive end. They went from being a top-ten team to now almost a bottom-ten team on that end. And look, they are already a team that's missing a whole lot of talent-wise compared to a lot of the teams in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. Bradley Beal this season has become more of a playmaker, point guard role versus his own score for self that we know he has been for almost a decade now. And I didn't expect that to happen this season. I thought maybe we could squeak out one more year of him being a perennial 25 to 30 points a night. That is no longer the case, unfortunately. And subsequently, this team is now six games under 500. And unlike the other teams that are in their tier, which would be Atlanta and Chicago, they really don't have a path forward besides just selling. And I think that they are unlikely to sell than more unlikely to sell than Chicago, who I will save for later in the pod potentially.
0: The the one thing with Washington, I mean, I I, I had I I didn't think they were gonna be a good team. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I will say they they they're they're interesting because I mean we'll do a whole episode later probably on trades and what the deadline outlook look like. I think this will be this will be one of the weirder trade deadlines probably of the, of recent memory because so many teams are locked into cap space and then teams that do have cap space are kind of like your Orlando's, Detroit's, Houston's where they're not going to like trade for a Bradley Beal or a DeMar DeRozan to get that guy, you know what I mean? They're they're trying to build a flexibility, yep. but then the other problem that we didn't really have before, and it's still looming, there's so many teams that are out on assets. You look at the Bucks, Clippers, Heat, you know, all these teams. T- this season, of course, it's the Timberwolves and Cleveland. All these teams that are at 500 or at above 500, there isn't a move that they can make really. Like the only the only picks I could think of that are out there would be the Lakers picks if they get really desperate and based on the A D injury, I doubt that's gonna happen. I feel like the Wizards, the reason why I bring it up for them though, they can kind of set the market because they have arguably the most coveted asset, which is Kyle Kuzma. He can be available in a trade. And other than Chicago, you're looking at those two teams in particular who are below five hundred, basically at like the nine ten spot, maybe in a in a best case scenario. They can kind of set that trade market for this season if they really wanted to, and because if they don't, I feel like it'll be a, it'll be kind of pretty quiet outside of that.
1: So yes, you mentioned Kyle Kuzma. The only other player that I can think of when it comes to being a massive trade deadline asset that could be acquired this season would be OG Anunoby, and a lot of people are going to be watching how the Toronto Raptors handle these next call it week or excuse me, not week, month and a half until the trade deadline. Well, and real quick, they, ask- they
0: they are actually one of my disappointments. I thought they would be, at least be 500. Uh, I know they're only four games below, but I thought they would have been like a solid six or seven season. They're, they're just not. They're not good.
1: Uh, okay, yes. I, I guess we can flip the script on that because I was actually right about them. I really? did not see much in the way – yes. Look, Pascal Siakam is having a fantastic season, and he's really starting to play like an all-NBA player, which is something he's done twice – Versus just making the All-Star team, which is something he's done once. I guess that speaks to volume how well he can play after the All-Star break. When he essentially turns it on. But this season, he's putting together a full-force, third-team All-NBA-esque season. Something that we have seen from him a couple of times. But the rest of this roster is completely broken. They don't have any playmaking. They really don't have any shot-blocking either. And OG and UNAB is their other... Above average player so far this season, and it looks like he is going to be the leading trade asset for the entire deadline. With another guy in this same tier, which would be John Collins. We've just named three guys from three teams, and look, people have also talked about Zach Levine and Demar Derozan and Nikola Vucevic, all from these four teams: Washington, Toronto, Chicago, and Atlanta. Yeah,
0: it's 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 actually funny because this is we'll stick we'll stick with Toronto because I want to get to Atlanta uh pretty soon. But the thing with Toronto that's actually shocking to me is that I thought they would at we, we least be kind of like just borderline average. But I think Fred Van Fleet, the whole his All Star case last season, really tapered off this year where he's now just playing like a role play. He's kind of back to Fred Van Fleet. Uh, uh Uh, Pre baby, where he just couldn't make a three point. Remember that where his uh, he couldn't make a three pointer like halfway through the playoffs, and after that he couldn't miss a three pointer. He's kind of played like the pre version of that, but also Siakam dealt with an injury. But this team is weird because they have so many. They actually have a good amount of depth. Like they've got Thaddeus Young. I think the Otto Porter Jr. injury actually hurt them more than I thought they would, just because he gave them like an actual shooter. But this team just does not have any offensive upside whatsoever. But they're another team though that. Theoretically, they could stay pat, be five hundred, maybe sneak into the play and make their way the hard way into the playoffs. But they can also set the market. Like, what if a team, you know, what a team, any team would want OGN Anun- unknown Anun- to be right now? They they would fork over two or three first to get him because he's so young. He's on the Dejounte Murray level of solid second or third contributor on a you know forty five to fifty win team in a good day. You and then of course, I, I think the problem is of course like you have to ask yourself if you are Toronto, where are you going with? Van Fleet, Siakam, Anunoby, and Scotty all locked up into a deal. Those are four great guys, but none of them are your franchise player, best player on a title team. Maybe Siakam is a is a second, second guy at best, but none of those guys are going to lead your team to a 50-win regular season.
1: No. At best, you're looking at a situation of we made it out of the play and then we got waxed by one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, which... I don't know. We didn't see that last year. I guess they took Philly to six and Philly was not one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference anyway, but that's just notorious purgatory and it's brutal to fans. It doesn't really make it feel like the franchise is going anywhere. I don't know that Masayu Jiri would actually want that for one more year anyway. And look, there's going to be a massive market for OG and Nunavi because I can name three teams right now who could actually do a deal like that and it would instantly make them much better. Look, New Orleans has all the picks in the world. What if they wanted to say, we can actually adopt just going a really small five, but we're going to have the best five on the court in terms of switchability and we're going to be able to make it so teams are going to hate playing us even more than they already do. What if they wanted to package... Valanchunas, and they wanted to go Herb Jones. They already can keep Alvarado because of that deal. They have a bunch of other assets they can use when it comes to draft picks. They could run out a lineup of Er McCollum, Herb Jones, Anunabi, Ingram, and Zion. Look, they would be going very small, but literally all of those guys can guard multiple positions aside from CJ, and he'll just be guarding the other team's smallest guy at all times.
0: My i i kind of i i'm similar in your logic but i would you know because the weirdest team i'd say in the nba right now if i had to say who's your weirdest top team it has to be for me memphis because memphis is yet again in the top of the regular season and we've always talked about this before how you have to look at some of these teams as how large or small is their championship window and for me I feel like if you're Memphis, I'm not. One, I'm always one to play conservative on the front of like I hate going all in. Like it, it's why I hated the Vucevic trade. I hated the Tobias Harris trade for Philly. I hate when teams like panic trade and go all in to just try to because they think they're good enough. But I actually think Memphis, given that they've dealt with so many injuries, I remember Jaron Jackson just got back like a couple weeks ago. Like he's not played. He didn't play to start the year. The fact that you're sitting third in the Western Conference, you're only a game and a half back from first place, and how open it is. I feel like they would be a good O.J. trade. Like you trade Dylan Brooks and a and a first or two for him, or just to get somebody else. Cause I think their biggest problem is it's kinda like uh I'm trying to think of a good example of like a team that had so much depth but didn't really have that guy in like recent memory who were contending, but they're a team where they just have so many players who are young, but they don't really have a a, a rotation level. You could play these seven or eight guys in a playoff series and they're gonna give you the absolute best all those times. I think they need they kinda need I was right on them because I think we were both right on them because we were both pretty high on them to start the year, but I think they're a team where it's like you could stay pat and make the conference semifinals again, but if you're looking at this Western Conference landscape, it's pretty open right now. Like Memphis can beat New Orleans. They did it a couple times this season already. Denver, I've got my own questions and concerns about. I feel like they're they're the weird team this year is the Memphis Grizzlies because they're just staying pat. Yeah, I can
1: totally see that. One of the other things you have to remember about this Memphis team, though, I'll take you back. About a week ago when Jaw sat down with Malika Andrews and Andrews asked him, when you look at the landscape of the NBA, who are you really keeping your eye on? He goes, Boston, that's it. And Malika then has to say, okay, in the Western Conference, is there any team that you just don't think that you guys would want to run into or don't match up quite as well with? He goes, no, we'll be fine. Okay, So I'm looking at a Memphis team right now who is currently 9-10 and against the Western Conference, but I guess they're just fine. Those are his words, not mine. And to your point, they are likely going to have to make a trade like this because, look, Desmond Bain can't stay healthy. Dylan Brooks looks washed. Darren Jackson Jr. looks like he could quietly make his way into the Defensive Player of the Year conversation again. Well, for the the
0: lead, he's third right now, even with the limited play, because he's just been so good, it's hard to keep him off the
1: ballot. Oh, he's fantastic. When it comes to guarding, essentially one through four, he is, what, almost replace Bam as the guy in the NBA. I guess Bam, not necessarily point guards for him, but maybe two through five in his category. And and real quick, I feel
0: like like that's what they need too if you're Memphis, is they just need a solid lockdown defender. They don't really have that on the roster. It's more of a, you basically surround the team defense around Jaron Jackson, but then there's the concern both with injury and also concern, can Jaron Jackson play center for 35 minutes in a playoff series? Because you're not going to play Steven Adams 30 minutes in a playoff game. That's just not going to happen.
1: No, you're not going to play Steven Adams, 35 minutes of playoff game. The other thing you're not going to do is you need to actually have guys that can make free throws on the court. (laughs) (laughs) So free throws and three-point shots, because one of the things that I think they necessarily have not done a great job around side jaw is, outside of Desmond Bain, they really don't have an above-average shooter among the guys that play normal minutes for them. They, I thought they were going to get Bryn Forbes this offseason. That didn't happen. Santi Aldama, John Conchar just don't play enough. Some of their other young guys, like this is still, by the way, a very young team. And I think that their window is actually wider than some of these other teams that we're asking to press a little bit more when it comes to the trade deadline. David Roddy, they have Kenny Lofton Jr. I happen to think that some of those players are more of a work in progress, but I'm certain there's some other guys that are also – oh, John Baravia as well. Some of these guys are essentially molding into the kind of players that they need, but they're more of a couple of years out in terms of a work in progress. And I'm not necessarily sure if they're going to be able to hit the panic button and try to make a huge jump this season. I think that Ja, as well as a lot of the other players that are currently in the starting lineup and play most of their minutes – They're almost content at this point to try and give it another go with this current roster, given the fact that, look, they almost lost Minnesota in the first round series last year. But you can also make the case that they were right in the series with the Warriors in the next round. And if things break a little bit differently, they are the ones in the conference championship playing against Dallas. And look, they match up well against Dallas the same way that Golden State did in the way that they can essentially put a bunch of big bodies on Luca and force the ball out of his hands and make others beat him.
0: Oh my God. It's so it's, it's wild to pass. I can't get over how open this year's NBA, I, the parody this season has been so fun because there's actually, I think, I think one thing I'm going to do an episode down the road, I think on what are some big picture things to watch for in 2023 with the NBA and surely enough once the new cba deal is done and once the new tv rights contract is done expansion will be a topic and you look at how much depth there is in the nba and you like this is i think a good time to do it not well again we'll we we'll can the conversation but you just look at like you just listed off right there from memphis alone like 10 to 11 guys who are like quality nba players you could play 10 to 15 minutes a night at a bare minimum it is just shocking to me we should i want to stick with the western conference and do a team that trust me, I was never high on them for their playoff ceiling whatsoever, but you have to look at Minnesota at sixteen and nineteen and be like, I thought the point of the Gobert trade was to make them a good regular season team, and then in the playoffs we would have our, our rants of why it's a dumb trade and all that. But even in the regular season, they're they're a game and a half out of the play in tournament. They're they're not even like Golden State's at 500, and they're three and sixteen away, and they're still behind that team. It's it's the Gobert trade, I mean, you could do a whole you know, a whole podcast on that alone or a whole book series on that, just how catastrophic that move was from how it affects Anthony Edwards to the fit with Car Anthony Towns to what even the point was of giving up all of those assets for this guy with this sort of contract. I mean, Minnesota, I think, I, I just want to bring them up because I wasn't wrong on them. I was right about them from a ceiling perspective, but I actually thought they would be not horrendous in the regular season and they have not found their groove through through 2022.
1: Oh, yes. So I guess I can say that I was definitely wrong about this team. Look, I also did not have them in the conference finals or even the NBA finals or anything like that, but I did have them finishing as one of the top four teams in the Western Conference because Gobert's, <laughs> yeah, Gobert, uh for the last few seasons has been one of the most durable players in the league. Anthony Edwards really has not missed many games during the first few seasons or few, first few seasons of his career and I thought that whatever they were going to be able to get out of Cat, this figuring out the right matchups and right lineups for both those guys to be able to excel, I didn't expect it to take this long. It's, of course, taken this long because they just haven't played together much at all. And defensively, they're about as good as they were last year, but they've just fallen off of a cliff on the offensive end. D'Angelo Russell looks like he's about ready to just demand a trade and get out of there. It, it might actually be better really. for
0: Minnesota. There, there's a whole thing out there of like, no D'Angelo Russell, only Anthony Edwards, and Edwards is actually way better when D'Lo is not, you know, dribbling and making twenty pick and rolls per per yes. game.
1: <laughs> and even those pick and rolls don't really work because D'Angelo, as we know, is not necessarily a great lob thrower, but is much more of a great. I as soon as I serpentine through the outside of the part of the pick and roll, if the roll man is more of a pick and pop kind of player, that's the to get— kind of guy that we actually need to bring in because we can use gobert in the dunker spot and we can use cat as that guy but cat himself has also never been a great pick and roll or pick and pop shooter cat himself has just been more of a good i'm a seven foot catch and shoot swing man so the fit i had questions about from the beginning all of those questions have been answered as we still have no answer and defensively they are good but not great and, look, Chris Finch, I give him essentially a C job for this season. But the front office in Minnesota, they got fleeced. The Jazz got back four first-round picks. Walker Kessler this season, who was a first-round pick, and by the way, leads the NBA in block percentage. Yeah, I,
0: yeah uh, and, do you play the game of you would rather have Walker Kessler at like $3 million than Gobert at I thirty-five? I think you want that.
1: <laughs> oh, you definitely want Walker Kessler. I'm not necessarily saying over the contract, but Walker Kessler this season has an argument that he's just been the better player than Gobert this he, season. He has. Which, he has. Sad, is that it? Yeah, he. I think he yeah. has. <laughs> which is kind of scary. Has. Look, he's the defensive rookie of the year. He's probably going to make... Uh, he's, I know he's going to make all-rookie, but if there was such thing as first-team or second-team all-rookie, he would likely be the starting center among all-rookies. And... The other guys they got, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Beasley is one of the best pull up shooters in the NBA. Vanderbilt is the best on ball guard, defend, or on ball defender that the Jazz have. And all of those assets were guys that they actually used regularly last season, except for Kessler and those four first round draft picks. It's inexcusable if you're Minnesota and they don't really have any choice but to find a way to make it work.
0: So, next team I want to do, because we, we skipped on it, but it's a similar logic in like, why the hell do they make this move to just stay at basically 500? I was so, so right as a Southeast Division potential champion with the Atlanta Hawks panicking to acquire DeJounte Murray. The The thing I can't get over, by the way, I don't know what's worse, the fit with DeJounte and with Trey Young, or the fact that Atlanta gave up three first-round picks, all of which do not... Conveyed during DeJounte Murray's tenure because it was a, now you gotta remember, it was a 2020, I think it was a 2025 and 2027 unprotected pick and then a 26 swap with San Antonio. DeJounte Murray's under contract this season and then for 23 24. So they traded for, and by the way, he's not an all star player. He only made the all star team because he put up empty numbers for a crappy San Antonio team last season and he got in as an injury replacement. He wasn't even voted in as an all star. I don't. It it was a horrible trade. Atlanta. If you're doing a ranking of like who are the hardest teams to kind of like, I in a sense like take over from day one and try to kind of reset them and put them back in the title contention, Atlanta for me is in the top five because you've got Trey Young, John Collins, Jante Murray, and Clint Capella all under and and uh, DeAndre uh, DeAndre Hunter too. All under contract for multi-year deals that are very, very expensive. You're lacking depth, and I, I've hated the, I've, I hated their offseason, and, and then, to basically dump Kevin Herter, who's looked awesome in Sacramento, and by the way, Atlanta needs Kevin Herter's everything right now. Uh, they're, they're my biggest loser, I think, so far this season, because at least all these other teams besides Minnesota had their expectations so far. I think we've, they more or less hit them, and if not, they're very, very close to just failing them or just passing them. Atlanta though they were being hyped up as like they could be the fifth or sixth seed in the Eastern Conference like they're gonna be a forty five win team they've been anything but that this year and I think it goes back to what's happened with Trey Young we we have not talked about Trey Young's behavior his poor shooting this season just overall it's been a down year across the board for the Hawks
1: it's been a down year across the board for the Hawks, and we've now heard this buzz that Trey Young is going to be potentially the next star to superstar who's going to just demand out of wherever they are, and that would be quite literally the worst thing for this team because he has been, over the last few years, really the only positive for much of the entire team, and now this season he's starting to have a regression year himself. By the way, he's still putting up 28-10 and 10 and considering the bad year that he's having that's in and of itself an accomplishment but look their offseason was atrocious I didn't like the DeJounte Murray trade either and they gave up those three first round draft picks who they're now thinking about man what could those have amounted into if not for AJ Griffin who now looks like he is just going to take the John Collins role and they'll have to see where they have lined up with John Collins they really don't have anything going for them because they're not good offensively and defensively. Clint Capella, I'm not really sure how much his body can take in any kind of a playoff series. And they're really just undersized pretty much everywhere else. They also could use Kevin Herbers. You mentioned they rank 31st and three point rate. Only Chicago is worse than them. And they just can't make a three to save their lives in Chicago. So, this is not a team that's really going anywhere. I didn't expect they would. I guess you can chalk this up to one of the teams that I got right. I
0: you got it right for the wrong yeah. reasons. That's what I did. <laughs>
1: yes, and I I got it right really for one correct reason, which or I guess two really. Adding Dejounte Murray is going to make life hell on Trey Young because he has been awful playing without the basketball, and he has not been a good catch and shoot three point shooter, which is essentially what they needed. They needed a guy like Devin Booker, for example, which, look, that guy's not really out there because Booker is in the upper echelon of stars anyway, but a guy who was functioning without the basketball and could score out of different sets, off-ball screens, pull-up shooter. That's not really what Murray is. Murray is a pull-up shooter from the mid-range who doesn't shoot it quite as well as any of the other volume scorers in the NBA, And as you saw against pretty much any of the top defenses that they've played, including Cleveland and Boston, they have no way of creating good shots, and they just get outworked by a country mile margin on the three-point margin. Some of that is just insurmountable when it comes to trying to keep pace to score with these teams as well. So in any kind of a playoff series, they're probably looking at, we're done in four or five games.
0: The other thing, too, with Atlanta is – I actually have a question for you because, I mean, again, we'll do a trade outlook thing later, but um, who's going to trade for Trey Young? Like, if you're Atlanta, like, who? what's the actual market? Because the only problem I've got is that every contending t- – point guard's the the one that has the most depth in the NBA. Like, that's just the most stacked position. If you just look at, like, upper-tier talent, like, they've got the most depth and the most upside. The The issue with Trey is, like – I don't know what the market is, unless you're trading him to a team like in Orlando or Detroit, where it's you know you got it's a younger team that just needs a guy who can you you can pair next to one of your other younger guys that's already on roster. Yeah. But like if you're looking down the list, none of the top five currently in the Eastern Conference are gonna touch Trae Young with a ten foot pole. Denver, like you look at the like New Orleans Nuggets, Grizzlies, Clippers don't have like feet. May, may, I mean. There, there's a lot of these teams where it's like I, I, there, there is no market for Trey Young, and that makes it so complicated for Atlanta because he also just got signed to this huge extension I think last season, but he's on like another, he's got another four years under contract until twenty six, twenty seven. Like he's, he's gonna be on the books for a while here. So the, the market's the worst part. So you, you saddle yourself with a franchise star who, at his best is going to lead you to the Bradley-Beal case of 30 to 45 wins yeah. per year and, you know, a first round, a couple first-round playoff exits. And that's not what you wanted if you were... You, you invested so much money into pure no-man's land.
1: Yep. Pure no-man's land is one of the worst places to be in the NBA this season, especially with... There's really two great outcomes that any team can have this season, which is, one, win the championship, and two, draft Victor Wambanyama... <laughs> and aside from those two things, everywhere else in the middle is just I'm not really sure. Did we like our outcome? Was it what we wanted? Who knows? But when it comes to the Trey Young sweepstakes, can't really call them that yet, because I'm not sure if he's actually going to want out eventually. I somewhat like Trey Young in Philly, perhaps if this Harding to Houston thing actually materializes in any
0: way. Oh, my God. That's a, that's a conversation for another day, by the way. It's, today's news, you see that. Harden, he's such a tease, man. If if he goes back to Houston, this is the weirdest end-of-a-career arc <laughs> that I can... Like, who are the weirdest end-of-year superstar career? You got to do what Russell Westbrook for, like, he's on a new team every season. Maybe Bob McAdoo, because he went, like, to, like, six different teams and then found his way, like, on, like, one of the best dynasties ever with the L.A. Lakers, maybe. But there's so many... How, how about maybe Allen Iverson? Like, those random years with, like, the, uh, the Pistons? <laughs> like. Yeah, and then he,
1: has, he finished his career with Memphis as well. The other thing that I was going to say was Tracy McGrady, perhaps. Oh, that's a good went, one. He went title chasing. And the other thing that I said at the time was, why not just go second round chasing? That's literally something you never did.
0: Wait, yeah, that's I mean, the he, he, what, what was he? O of I think 0 of 7 in the first round? I got to remember now. Yeah,
1: including including a blown 3-1 lead, yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, so yes it does happen like don't take the playoffs and even the conference semis for granted some players who are really really good never actually get to that level so for trey yes philly makes sense i guess potentially if harden is no longer there of course you do have size questions like the other thing would be if the knicks are just super desperate for that level of a star Would he and Brunson actually work together where you have like two way below average size guards and then three other guys who are supposed to make up some kind of a vaunted defense, but it's never really materialized since that one season? That's
0: why I've got one. I think maybe Phoenix, because here's why. Ready for this? Every time there's a new owner, the new owner always panics and makes some mega trade. Like, you look at it with the Timberwolves with Gobert, there's a couple other regimes where, like, that first year they want to make something splashy, but if Chris Paul truly ages out, and let's say a year down from now when Paul's not under contract anymore, maybe the Suns do it. I wouldn't agree with the trade, but maybe the Suns give up, you know, uh, they would do it. They would do, like, Cam Johnson on the extension and and, like, basically four firsts or you know, three first and two pick swaps for Trey. That could be a possibility down the road. A Trey Young, Devin Booker, all offense, no defense. It'll be great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, they would also probably have to figure out what they do with DeAndre Ayton, which I guess now the Suns are going to be in the mode of we got to draft centers, because this guy is clearly oh. does not want to be here and might not even be around past the deadline when Indiana can actually find a way to match it and bring them away.
0: Phoenix is the team when we do our next pod in a couple, like in a little bit on just general assessment, we're going to be like, wow. Like, cause they, they, they actually were pretty hot to start the year. and Now they're, they're on, they're on playing territory here.
1: No, they're currently 20 and 16, the four in the last 10. And they are one of the other teams that has just been not quite atrocious, but has been in the slightly less than unspeakable category in the road and they're likely not going to be a team that's going to host more than one, if not zero, playoff series. And that would actually be a massive disappointment for them, given the team that was in the NBA Finals just two years ago, conference semis last year, and then they just got luka as the entire league did two nights ago. <laughs> but, look, <laughs> that's one of the craziest It went up in flames, and then it just instantly went incinerated Ash right away, and that was the Phoenix Suns, who we might be looking back at a few years from now. And, look, if we look back on them a few years from now and they didn't actually accomplish much more of anything, would we have said that this current version of the Phoenix Suns was actually better than the Nash version with Stoudemire and, look, a lot of their other pieces that were really good in the seven seconds or less. Like, which of those two, not dynasties, which of those two eras would you have taken?
0: Uh, honestly, probably the Nash ones because they were so good for so long. Like, th- we'll end on this note because we always like to end on a history note. But they were, they were arguably. They should. I think they arguably could have made the finals in 07. If Joe Johnson doesn't break his face, they could maybe make it in 05. Then you look at the 2000... Remember the 2010 series? They're tied with the Lakers 2-2, and if Artest doesn't grab that rebound, maybe they make the finals over Kobe's Lakers in 2010, too. Like They, they just had an extended stretch, and also you have to factor in just the 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 way they revolutionized the game, too. I think factors in, because it was just so different. Like you, you compare the 04 season to the 05 season, and it was a night-and-day NBA because of all the new rules and because of the offensive system that Phoenix had. I would probably go with those Nash suns. They were so f- – Nash also, by the way, has an underrated career too. So, I mean, that that's a whole laundry list right there.
1: Okay, so, yes, when it comes back to the Nash career thing, it's very interesting because you and I have talked about the importance and the historical significance of the MVP, what it actually means. If you win it once, you're automatically – In theory, aside from Derrick Rose, one of the hundred best players of all time, if you win it twice, especially back to back, the way that Nash and Jokic have now done, you are supposed to be one of the pantheon level greats. Yeah, you're you're probably
0: you're top sixty at a minimum. I'd say if like just off the top of my head, I I, maybe probably even top like top forty five. Maybe I'd say top forty five. In
1: order to win it back to back, especially the way that those two did it, where you had Kobe and Shaq, who were still in their primes, KG and Dirk, LeBron arguably could have won at one of those times. There were so many guys. Wade to Wade never won it, and Wade was also a guy who was a three-time champ, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So, and then with Jokic, look, how do you feel if he were to win three in a row this season? Like, I know that we're going to get into who we actually have on our ballots when we do our next pod, but. How would that make you feel, considering the only other guys who've done it are Russell, Wilt, and Bird?
0: You you would have to put him in, even with the lack of true playoff success, I think it's hard to leave him off the top 30. He would be, to be honest, he would be, I think, in the Carl Malone-Charles Barkley conversation of very strong offensive production, great great longevity in the sense that their careers lasted for a pretty decent while, but... Like like until Denver like makes a final trip, let's say, and Jokic just goes off, I think you would put him. He would have to be top thirty, I think, for sure. Then you get into the interesting conversation: Do you have him over Dwayne Wade, Scottie Pippen, Isaiah Thomas, like that? That conversation of guys where clear, clear at times the best player, arguably one of the best players in the league for sure, and then you go from there. So we gotta we gotta wrap up. As you said, we're gonna do another pod with more analysis, especially when we get to the MVP and the All-NBA Awards and all that sort of stuff. But it was good to have you on again. It's finally good to be back for some NBA talk. Uh, And thanks for joining, Micah.
1: Absolutely. A pleasure of mine. Thank you.